We have a tough topic today. Unfortunately, it's also one that is all too common. What do you do when your spouse is a chronic liar? Well, we are going to try to come to this topic with accountability and compassion because trust is so vital to creating a happy marriage. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to oyf.support. Once again, that website is oyf.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you're looking for. We have an honest take on lying for you this week. This is an episode number 189. And today we're going to be talking about pathological or compulsive lying. Hey there, before we get started, if you missed last week's episode, we discussed how to increase the love you feel towards your spouse. Mm. That was a pretty cool topic to cover, so please check it out. And again, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming shows from us. If you're struggling with your marriage, we offer sound research-based advice. And most of all, we offer hope. Let's get into the topic of chronic lying and what to do when you're married to someone who has that problem. Okay, let's define it first. So there's a few terms that get used interchangeably here. Compulsive lying, chronic lying, pathological lying. Mm Mm-hmm. And like other psychological terms, those can get thrown around a little too loosely sometimes. You know, somebody lies to you a couple of times, it upsets you, you're angry, you call them a pathological liar. Well, that, you know, I'm not justifying they're lying, but that may not be an accurate assessment. Right. They lied. They lied. Okay. When you have frequent compulsive telling of lies and false stories, that is pathological lying. And typically the lies told have three features. One is that they're continuous. They're told regardless of context or who is being spoken to and without any apparent benefit or motive and no thought of potential consequences. This is just continuously comes out. It's pathological, right? Okay. Impulsive is another feature. Not necessarily intended to manipulate people or gain anything. The person simply sees an opportunity to lie and does so. Okay. So they don't really think about it. Right. Now, in other cases... There could be a, a real intent to manipulate, like a con man would be a yeah could okay. be a pathological liar too, right? And then uh, again, uh, similar to impulsive, but a little different. Compulsive. The lies are often told automatically without any conscious decision, meaning that the play of the conscience is not at work. It's just like okay, they'll tell the lie like they'll tell the truth. It's just something to say. Okay. So that's a pretty serious set of criteria. And that's why I say we use the label too freely sometimes. I think there's there's a lot of lying that happens at a lower level of being problematic, but it's mm-hmm. still problematic. But strictly speaking, pathological lying should have all those components okay. in order to for us to really identify it like that. Okay. Along with this, you'll often see that the compulsive liar, when challenged about his or her lies, may attempt to downplay what was said or may try to get out of it by telling more lies. They often get caught up in this web of increasingly unrealistic lies. This is like the bully at school. Yes. Huh. And it's also helpful to know that someone who's a pathological liar may be mentally well-adjusted in every other way. Maybe. Okay. Or they may have other difficulties such as personality disorders, especially narcissistic personality disorder, or there could be ADHD or there could be memory problems hmm. going on. And we'll okay. get a little bit more into into uh, you know what might be happening there in brain functioning here shortly. Mm-hmm. I think we need to say though, like this isn't 
a better than you episode because we all lie. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah, we're not proud of it and it might come out and then it's like, oh man. So I don't think any of us can stand here and say like, oh, we are not pathological liars. They are a pathological liar. Well, yeah, that may be true, but we still lie. Like, I think we still need to... Be honest. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, you stepped it up in two words, but it took me like two minutes to spit out. But yeah. You're on the... I, uh, that's where this one gets tricky and we'll see this as we go through is that, you know, there's a moral issue here. Yeah. But it could actually be rooted in brain damage. Okay. Too, okay. for example, right? And that's why I think, you know, before we all get on our moralistic high horses, we need to consider, well, what if you got smacked mm-hmm. in the head coming off a dirt bike or something, right? Okay. So, so what makes a chronic liar? And this is where we get the possible causes. And again, not okay. for the, or not again, but for, not for the purpose of justifying the behavior or asking you to be okay with it. Like, oh, you mm-hmm. fell off your motorbike. You can lie. That's fine. Oh, yeah, no. But just to create some compassion, right? Mm-hmm. And hopefully even some possible treatment strategies from that too, right? If we know where this thing's coming from or what some root causes might be, then we're in a better position to look at treatment. Okay. So what? Well, I have to go back and like justify what I just said. Go for it. Because I'm like, we all lie. And it sounds we- like I'm totally okay with everybody lying, which is totally not what I was saying. But I'm just saying like... Yeah, we're not proud of it, but we do it too. Nobody's above lying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's not like we purposely just going to whatever, but yep. yeah, we're not above it. That's good. All right, let's move on and I'll stop on my hobby horse now. No, it's your hobby horses are helpful. Sometimes. Usually. <laughs> okay. So on. the neuroimaging, like brain scans of some sort yep. of patients who show compulsive lying reveals... Sometimes impairments to the prefrontal cortex, the front part of the brain. And these impairments could be caused by head injuries, could be caused by degenerative diseases or infection or Hmm. epilepsy or be present from birth. And that impairment affects two important mental processes. So we're going to talk about these two things sort of under this heading of brain functioning and lying. The first process is called executive functioning and the second is called theory of mind. Now, just stay with me here. It sounds a little nerdy, okay? Yeah, because neither make any sense yet. It's pretty interesting though, okay. I think. The first one, executive <laughs> functioning. This That was humor me is what I was saying there. No, you were saying this is nerdy and that's why you enjoy it because you're a nerd. Erlinda. Isn't that what you were saying? I resemble that comment. I mean, uh-huh. I resent it. Uh-huh. The first process, executive functioning, that's about the ability to control and monitor your own thoughts as well as control impulses and just kind of organize yourself, right? Now, now, problems with executive functioning may look like difficulty with controlling the impulse to lie. So if your executive functioning is intact, then yeah. like say, for example, the cop pulls you over, you might be tempted initially to think, you know, what can I tell him? Give him a bit of a story. You know, I'm late for my whatever mm-hmm. to try to get out of this. So you might be tempted to lie to him or to her, but your executive function kicks in and you realize, you know what? My kids are in the car. I need to be truthful and do some good role modeling here. Mm-hmm. Right. But if your executive function is impaired, you might not ever get out in front of that initial impulse and you just keep weaving that story as they walk up to the window to get your driver's license. Okay. So the executive function is the part that gets in front of impulses okay. and allows you to filter your thoughts. Now, again, uh, maybe we touched on this a little bit already, but people can get upset with me on things like this when I point out a possible physiological basis for why there's a moral wrong happening. Right. Yes. Some people do take offense. Am I trying to excuse or trying to minimize the moral wrong? Well, no, I'm not. But if if you have a person that cannot stop and they lying and mm-hmm. they sincerely want to stop and all you're doing to try to motivate them to stop is using moralistic interventions, like telling them how wrong it is, how God hates lies, how Satan is the father of lies, 
or whatever your moralistic approach might be. Mm -hmm. That's all true, but it's not actually going to help them stop if the root of this thing is a head injury. Right. See where I'm going? Okay. Yeah. They need a different approach to try to achieve the same outcome. Okay. So they desire moral improvement, but you know, a purely moral intervention might not help them. Huh. Okay. Because the symptoms that come out are a moral issue, but the cause may not be a purely moral problem. It could potentially be physiological. Uh, it could be in the brain. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the executive functioning is part of what might be impacted through these diseases, head injury, infection, that kind of thing. And right? the executive function is just like your ability to think of the consequences before you tell the lie? Yeah. It's That's like thinking about your thinking, really. The, oh, my dear. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, the second process that happens under this whole uh, brain functioning and lying piece is this thing called theory of mind. And that's the ability to see that other people are conscious beings like you, along with the ability to view things from another's perspective. And normally this develops in childhood, like where you see, you can see something through, through someone else's eyes. Okay. Right? Yeah. When theory of mind is impaired, that can cause people to tell elaborate or unrealistic lies because they're unable to see that other people will instantly be able to prove what they are saying is false. I can't, it would be like I couldn't be aware of the fact that you will know that what I'm saying is false. Oh, okay. So this is, you know, this really has that pathological sense to it, right? And these lies are often continued over a period of years. So for example, Dyke et al. Uh, in 2005, he mentions a man who swore under oath in court that he had taken part in covert operations for the CIA in Africa and had been awarded the Purple Heart Medal during the Vietnam War, none of which was true, and it was easily proven false. But that was his reality because of this theory of mind thing being damaged, like not working. And this has actually just come out in the the news lately too. Uh, A couple of times in the last few weeks, people imitating um, or presenting themselves as veterans when they're not in the USA and claiming privileges like discounts or whatever, okay. that kind of thing. It's an elaborate web of lies sometimes. Now, so you have these two mental processes, executive functioning and theory of mind. Impairments to the executive functioning causes a person to have difficulty controlling their impulse to lie, while damage to your theory of mind causes an inability to see the effect of lying on other people. And then it becomes difficult to distinguish reality from fabrication, like what's true from what's just the story. In their own mind. Yes, So this is the very pathological end of the spectrum, right? Because at this end, pathological liars also suffer basically from some form of delusion where they actually come to believe their lies to be true. Like this guy in court, he honestly would have believed that. He was willing to swear under oath. Yeah. So this can get very intense, right? Okay. And, And as folks are listening today, just know that there's a spectrum of behavior here then, right? Mm hmm. I don't see it this severe in my practice very often. Okay. Where I see the most lying is working with sex and porn addicts that are in a marriage and the amount of lies that they've told over a number of years to cover things up. Right. And eventually it's like they create two parts of themselves, the part that acts out and the part that deals with the rest of life. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So moving back from the extreme end of the scale, you could be looking at a lying habit. And that's a, another possible contributor to chronic lying is just the habits thing, right? So like many behaviors, lying can become a habit. Many children yeah. lie yeah. Or, or they even just, you know, invent elaborate fantasies as part of their games, which is okay. Yeah. But that Isn't was, that an imagination? You know, but what if it starts carrying over into real life and now they start using it to avoid getting in trouble? And then if they're uh. actually rewarded for these kinds of behaviors with attention, you're so funny, those little yeah. stories you make up are amazing, or they escape punishment, that can be a reward. Yeah. Then it may form a habit which persists into ad- adulthood. Huh. 
Now, another researcher argues that a lying habit can be formed from the reward of simply telling a lie and getting away with it. Like this, that little feeling of success. I guess that was a little bit of like an adrenaline rush. And then they... Yes. Ha, interesting. Okay. Another group of researchers in a study in 2007, they described the case of a 20-year-old man who as a child used to enjoy making fools of children in his locality and his neighbors and his neighbors about various matters. Like, for example, telling his neighbor that officials from the electricity board are coming to check their meters for complaints of stealing electricity. Not a big... Kind of funny. Ha ha yeah. ha. As he became older, the lies became more elaborate and they started to include acts of fraud. So huh. That's like characterological now, right? Yep. Yeah, I think at this point, like, oh, I just got away with all these things. I wonder, like, yes. I could get away with this. Yeah. Yes. So that's just the habit. The habit right. was formed. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Now, like, how do you start to know when these people are telling the truth or not? Or yeah. What? That even you starts to me. mess with your own head. So what we did for this episode, we created a bonus guide for our much appreciated supporters. Not so much of a happy guide like in other episodes where we try to build things up, but still very useful because it goes into detail on how to detect lies. And I'm going to get to why this is important. Okay. We didn't create this to start a witch hunt, but because we know that some of you listening today are probably so disorientated by the lies in your marriage that you just need some help having a reference to turn to and help just anchoring yourself in some truth. Mm-hmm. So if you like this additional content, you can get it by becoming a patron of the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. And we will just take a quick 60 second break to tell you more about that. What happens when the fairy tale marriage meets reality? Too often, high expectations lead to disappointment, communication breaks down, and the struggles of day to day life become overwhelming, leaving you feeling lost and without hope. Unfortunately, marriage does not come with an instruction manual. Marriage troubles are deeply personal and can take a toll on you, your spouse, and your family. Counseling can be expensive and divorce is very costly. It doesn't have to be this way. Caleb and Valinda understand your pain and frustration. Their mission is to help save as many marriages as possible. And to date, thousands of couples are helped through their weekly podcast. But the most important marriage they want to help save is yours. With a minimum of a $10 investment a month, you gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Learn more about saving marriages and how you can help at OYF.support. That's OYF.support. You're listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Before the break, we were talking about how lying can become a habit. That was part of trying to understand what might make a person a chronic liar. Now, there's a couple more possibilities to go over. The next one's interesting to me, uh, particularly as it relates to my work with sex and porn addicts. Trauma and guilt can foster lying. Some Mm -hmm. pathological liars use their lies as a means to escape from stressful or unpleasant life circumstances or to avoid dealing with past trauma. So they often experience high levels of guilt about using their lies to escape from reality and so on. And so on some unconscious level, they start to believe their lies to be true so as to stop feeling guilty. Okay. Because if you believe the lie is truth, then you don't feel guilty about the lie. Oh, I see. Okay. So it kind of eliminates your guilt. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Now to understand this, you have to really focus on the trauma piece. Think perhaps about a child who's experiencing trauma, like something severe, overwhelming, some inescapable distress, a violent father, maybe a chaotic home environment full of unmanageability and unpredictability, or even maybe a reasonable home, but a series of traumatic hospital visits. Mm, Yeah. One coping mechanism in that kind of those kinds of contexts is dissociation, which is removing yourself from your body and becoming a spectator of your pain rather than a participant in it. 
or the person right. experiencing it. Okay. That's taking a step back from reality. Yes. Now, do you see how lying could fit into that as a dissociative coping mechanism? It's another way to distance yourself from the reality of the pain that you're experiencing. Perhaps another scenario, perhaps a child felt very unsafe. By the way, that's trauma, right? That's going on there. It's an escape from trauma. But the previous part, not the child feeling unsafe. Yeah. Well, the, the child feeling unsafe will be as well. But okay, as an escape from trauma, you now have a coping mechanism built into lying. And if your trauma is severe and ongoing, then you become really good at this because you have to do so much protective work. Okay. Yeah. So take again, uh, perhaps the child felt very unsafe for some reason and had to learn to self-preserve by becoming a good liar. Now the child is programming lying right into his or her fight, flight, freeze response. And so it becomes an impulsive automatic response from their central nervous system. Happens right like near the wow. brainstem. Yeah. From, yeah. Sometimes in my in my um, industry, you'll hear people bandying around the term, which is hard to define or track down, but they use the term limbic lies, like that part of the brain that's just, like I think automatic. it's, yeah, I think it's tied to the executive functioning part. But huh. lying becomes nearly as instant and thoughtless a reaction as an increased heart rate in the face of something threatening. Wow. Trauma can help create that for sure. Okay. And then there's anxiety in lying. This one's kind of sad. Compulsive lying can also come from anxiety and from low self-esteem. If a person is deeply convinced that they're worthless or unimportant or they fear being judged, they may get into the habit of lying to avoid having to be vulnerable and actually open up about themselves. They just make up a lie instead. Yeah. Okay. So the lying comes to serve as a protective function there as well. Hmm. So is there while, any hope? Yes, <laughs> there is. You can heal from these things. And and that's the thing is like, while the lying causes a lot of distress in a marriage now, yeah, it's also coming from a place of great distress quite often. Ah, uh, yeah. Hurt people, hurt. hurt people. Yeah. That's where we're back to, right? Question though, like you said, is there hope for chronic liars? I believe there is. If they want help. Right. But you know what? There's actually a paucity of research on the topic, especially as it, like not much, especially as it relates to, to, to marriage. But let's, let's look at what we did find and, and just also I'll draw from what I've seen in my clinical experience. Okay. There's one study that uh, we came across. It's a qualitative study and it has just one participant. But in that study, the researchers found that treatment with both an antidepressant and psychotherapy was effective in reducing compulsive lying behavior. This was apparent after six months of treatment. Okay. Also, if you see some of the items above, like anxiety, low self-esteem, trauma, etc., and you take these core issues to a therapist who can address them, then through healing those issues, you may find you no longer need lying as part of your protective stance in life. See where that's going? So if you can heal that distress, you don't need yes. you won't be creating more distress. Yes. And the people I see who struggle with this chronic lying issue, they actually feel really bad about their lives. They want to give their spouse of the experience of, of them being a safe, trustworthy, honest person. Mm-hmm. So if you're willing to do this deeper work, I would certainly hold a, a lot of hope for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can heal. Yeah. Okay. Now, another thing is response conditioning. One aspect of the treatment in the study I just referenced was a kind of conditioning where patients were repeatedly told of the negative consequences of being caught lying. Like it's going to be humiliating. You're going to lose your friends. You might be fired from your job. Okay. Not to shame them, but to remind of consequences, right? And over time, the compulsive liar can learn to associate lying with the fear of the negative consequence and so learns to better control their impulses. Okay. So just that they're, that's their whatever functioning you were talking Executive. about before. Executive functioning. Right. There's a connection that's made in the brain between the consequence and the impulse. Yeah. 
This is something that I would certainly use brain spotting for in my practice to help the person connect the impulse with the consequence. Often it's, they're amazingly mm. disconnected. It's like you can follow the impulse without any awareness of the consequence at the time. But at the end of it, when it's falling apart, you're like, well, why didn't I see that? I mean, it's so obvious, right? Ah, okay. And, and that's, that connection could just simply be missing sometimes if, you're, if your spouse is a chronic liar. And that's how it's so easy for them to lie because they don't tie it to so the consequence. they're not even thinking about that. No. Okay. Not at the front end. And then there's detecting lies too. So this explains a little bit more about where we were going with our download this week. If the compulsive liar is lying for the excitement of getting away with it, then learning to spot lies for the spouse and call them on it will take away the motivation to lie. Okay. More on that in, in the bonus content. And I'm just going to, I'm going to qualify this in a moment, but I also want to touch on building self-esteem. That's another component here. So if the compulsive liar is using their lies to protect from having to be vulnerable, showing them that you love them unconditionally as a spouse and responding well when they honestly talk about themselves may build up their self-esteem and teach them that it's safe to be honest. Oh, maybe it's never been safe for them to be honest before. Quite possible. Or vulnerable. Yeah. And that's one way that you can provide an environment that fosters honesty. But I just, in saying these last two things, the detecting lies part and the building self-esteem part, we don't want to put responsibility of fixing this lying problem on the spouse who is not struggling. Like it's... Well, they'll be struggling, but in a different way. The spouse who's not the liar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's really the task of the lying spouse to own his or her junk and be willing to do the work that's necessary to become a safe person for his or her spouse. Mm-hmm. But these are things that you can do to facilitate, to help create an environment where it, you're both moving towards the one person towards honesty. Right. So would this be something like that you need to talk about beforehand? Like, do you want me to point this out to you? Or yeah. do you just kind of become the nagging spouse to point but, out their faults all the time? I think it would go better if you had a conversation where the lying spouse is acknowledging the problem, that they yeah. have a problem. Yeah. And you're saying, these are a couple of suggestions that I came across are you okay if I call you out on your lies? Like I'm going to try to work on that. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm also going to really work with you on your self-esteem stuff too. Okay. Like, is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. So just, just kind of putting it out there like that. Sounds good. All right. Let's wrap it up, baby. All right. We want to thank those of you who became patrons between this recording and our previous one. Thank you to Brenda. And again, we want to send out a serious note of gratitude to our patron supporters who stay with us month by month to make the show possible. So as we record this, yes. we are on the final approach to 1 million downloads, which is an incredible milestone and one we could not have achieved without your encouragement and help. So thank you to every one of our supporters who sticks with us month by month. Next week, Mr. Caleb. We're going to talk about what to do when your spouse has been sexually abused. Not like okay. it's recently happened, but it's, In the past. it's something they've... That's been part of their history. Okay, that should be interesting. That is all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oyf.link slash 198. Find out how you can help. Go to oyf.support. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is totally funded by listeners who support Caleb and Valinda in their mission to save marriages. If you would like to be part of this worthy cause, open your web browser to oyf.support. A minimum investment of $10 per month will help restore hope to married couples. Plus, as a patron, you'll gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Go to the website oyf.support now for more information. Thanks for listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People from Only You Forever.